0: There's nothing like, um, but let me say it this way. Dad, when, when you walk into the room, I pray that you are a grounding force for your family. I pray, dads, that when you sit down at the dinner table and you say, let's pray, or you look at the kids and tell them you love them that it it rings true to them and it brings grounding and safety and comfort it was interesting i was with my dad yesterday for a few hours and he's uh he's 85 he's 85 next month and parkinsons and dementia and all that's taking its toll, but we had a good day and mom and I and dad just sitting around and laughing and look at some old pictures. And, and we got to talking about my grandfather, my dad's dad. And when he, I was 16 when he was killed in an auto accident. My dad was 39. I thought about that, you know, losing your dad at 39. That's really young. I was 16, I remember the dad, spent the last day of my grandfather's life uh, with him and then he was killed that evening in a car accident. But here's the thing that struck out, struck kind of, I don't know, it's just the generation before us maybe, but my mom and dad both said, dad said, you know, I never really heard my dad tell me he loved me, but I always knew he did. And my mother said the same thing about her parents, my papa and Mamaw, on that side of the family said, you know, they didn't say, I love you. I can't really remember them saying that like all the time. But I knew they did. I have to tell you, I I didn't like that. Because in fact, this morning, I hugged both of my sons, kissed them on the cheek, told them I love them. They're grown men. And it's just my style, may not be your style, But I think it's powerful when a dad just looks at his kids and says, I love you. And when their mom hears you tell her, I love you. There's something about the security and the settling that it brings to a home. So I'm already admonishing you here today as a dad. I want you to know dads, uh, we celebrate fatherhood here. Today's not a day of, of saying well it's Father's Day he's gonna ream us out for all the things we're not doing right no 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 not around here you're our heroes and we love you we celebrate you (laughs) and I'll be the first to admit more more than I'd like to count I've had to tell my sons I'm sorry I was wrong because there's no perfect dad I look back over my parenting, and I'm not speaking for Janet, I'm speaking for me. There's been times I'm like, man, I, I screwed that up. <laughs> I handled that completely wrong. And I don't think I'm alone. Especially to you new fathers, you know, you got these new babies, and I'm looking at Sam back here, and others, you got these new babies, and you're like, man, I didn't get, a, I didn't get any instructions. And if it's a little boy, you better hurry up and change his diaper, he's gonna pee all over you. They never told me that. Is that okay to be? Kids are supposed to be somewhere else. We're talking. But thank God we have a church family and a family of choice. And, and if you don't have a father, if father your father is gone, maybe he's passed. Maybe, Maybe you never knew your dad. We live in a world where that happens more often than we'd like to acknowledge it. Maybe your dad was not a good father. Maybe your memories aren't healthy. And so to talk on Father's Day or to be at church today or hear us speak about dads, it it can make it uncomfortable. Let me just level the playing field here to say that's not what we want to do today and we want you to know that we love you and God is a good, good father. And he said, he said he would be a father to the fatherless. And I also want to say that when you look around this room, that God has brought you here, and if that's part of your story where fatherhood and the image of that is is hurtful, I want you to know there's some good men in this room and we love you and God loves you and God can heal that. And I pray that'll happen for you today. I pray it'll happen. So I honor my dad this morning and I honor my two sons. I had a little fun with my dad yesterday. I said, you know, there's something that sets me apart from, all, from my brothers. I have three younger brothers, there's four of us. I said, there's one thing different about me that my brothers will never be able to say. And dad's just looking at me and trying to figure out what I'm about to say. I said, I, because I'm firstborn, I made you a father. <laughs> and Jared Green and I talked about that this week. He, he made me a dad. Now, I'm Nathan's dad, too, <laughs> and you made me a father all over again, but that first boy came out, and you're like, yeah, it took all night to get here, but man, I'm glad you finally got here, so I honor our two sons, my sons today, and uh, so proud of both of them that they serve the Lord, and Janet and I could tell a lot of stories about raising kids. We can tell you what not to do and we can tell you what to do. Some things that work. And we're just grateful. And now to have Pastor Nate and Kendall stepping up and our family serving. I got grandkids that serve on our team. That's really rewarding. The third generation serving in the house that you, that God called you to build. And so here we are. So let's get on with the message today. Enough of all the all the sentimental stuff. Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to receive? Okay. Here we go. The ancient Greek army would wrangle wild horses and bring them in from the wild in order to train them for war. Not many possessed the strength or the willingness to obey that was needed to be utilized by the Greek cavalry. So some were made into pack animals, some were simply discarded. But those that qualified after being broken were said to be praus. That's a Greek word. They were no longer unruly or rebellious or out of control. They became war horses. They were called meek. Meek. Being a war horse, they would now charge into battle under control of their masters and maneuver according to his commands. A meek horse was one that had kept its strength but placed it under the authority of the one who tamed it. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, he was actually using a military term. A war horse or the meek describes strength under control, power under authority, formidable determination in the face of the constant onslaughts of the enemy, the humble willingness to do what your master commands you to do, and the exact opposite of feeble timidity. You're familiar with Matthew chapter five, verse five. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall, work with me here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it can seem a bit contrary, contradictory, actually, until you understand its meaning. To the hearer, the word meek denotes a sort of submissive passivity, a, a lack of backbone or a certain kind of doormat quality when you think about that. If you search Google for its definition, you'll find synonyms like uh, yielding, compliant, tame, timid, unresisting. Not exactly the qualities that one might associate with strength or masculinity. So the Christian man is faced with a conundrum. How does he balance this directive of Jesus to be meek while Paul commands us to be on alert, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous, to be strong? So which one is it? Are we as men to lay down passively accepting whatever comes our way or rise up in courage and strength through the might and the power of God. The key lies in understanding meekness in the original Greek word. The word is translated meek in this chapter and verse is the word praus that I mentioned a while ago. And it does mean meek and gentle, but we must understand what those words mean biblically as opposed to our modern Western English speaking context. So properly understood, praus means temperate, displaying the right kind of force and reserve. It means strength in gentleness. It avoids unnecessary harshness yet without compromising or being too slow to use the necessary force. So in Matthew 5, biblical meekness is not weakness but rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control. It is demonstrating power without undue harshness. It is peace through strength. In short, the biblical notions of meekness and gentleness are really incomplete without both strength and control. Biblical meekness is not passivity or weakness. It is a measured, deliberate, and properly deployed power. Someone said it like this. It's carrying a sword, but knowing when to unsheathe it. Meek is is best understood in the image and the depiction of a War horse. He is battle ready, has a bridle on his mouth, is under command, and doesn't snort and paw the ground when going into battle, but he is trained, he is poised, and prepared to carry its rider to the end. That's why Jesus said, The meek, the war horse, will inherit. The earth. I found a verse of scripture. I heard someone speak on it not long ago, sometime last year, and it really stood out to me. And it's found in Second Samuel chapter 10 and verse 12. I wrote it down and I want to share it with you today. It's part of the story of David. This verse says, be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. I thought that was really interesting, especially the part of the verse, he said, let us fight bravely for our people. Would you say those words with me right now, all of you? Say, for our people. Let's say it together. For our people. The backstory of this text is the enemy had humiliated the armies of of the lord they had went in and were were captured and the enemy cut off half of the beards of the men and then they took their robes and they cut off the back of their robes scripture says up to their buttocks and they sent them away humiliated Sending them back to David with half of their beards gone, and if you understand culture and custom, both of those were very, it would have been better to kill them and them die as a martyr than what had happened to them. David sent them off to a private place, all of those men, so that their beards could grow back out and not be humiliated or humiliate the name of the Lord. But David said this, when they came back, something came over him and he said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna let this one go. This one is for our people. We've got to take a stand and we've got to fight for our people. So he gathered his mighty men to handle and speak to the situation. I say today, Father's Day 2022, I'm sounding the alarm and I'm making the call. We need meek, bold, courageous, war-ready leaders, men who are willing to fight for our people, men ready to take a stand for our families, for our marriages, and for our children. Because there's an enemy coming after your home, he's after your family, he's after your faith, he's after your marriage, and he's after your kids. Someone said, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Jordan Peterson said, those who have swords know how to use them, but they keep them sheathed. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 is a verse I'm speaking to you prophetically here, especially to the men, to manhood, to masculinity, to leaders in this room. The writer said, the wicked flee, though they know, though no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as lions. war horse for our people I'm calling you God is calling you to be the meek that inherit the earth to be the war horse battle ready poised in place under authority recognizing your role understanding the power God has placed as a man as a man of God as a leader that he's put an anointing on you he has put a grace on you Step in and be the war horse ready when God calls you step out. There's a deception going on right now by government, by big tech. They're trying to silence us by redefining words and our language. It's meant to put people in submission. Submission. The enemy's number one goal is to make you submit. Wokeness villainizes anything that they can to promote submission. And it may be controversial, but I think it's time we stand up against the deception for our people and our families and our kids and speak truth, God's truth, about what he wants. Contrary to what current culture is pushing and promoting, God designed a structure for the family and for the home. Paul speaks to this structure in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 when he says this, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Read right out of the Scripture. Now, what does that mean? It's very important. The word head means primarily leadership. It does not mean domination. It does not mean control and manipulation. It means leadership. So it's used in this passage. Now, you got to understand the culture of Corinth at the time this was written. Uncovering a woman's head. Was a sign of sexual availability, prostitution, or idol worship. A woman that went out in public and uncovered her head was saying, I'm available. That was the social meaning of that style of dress. And Paul was bringing clarity to what headship really meant. He was clarifying proper authority and leadership and how God designed the structure where that man is under God, the wife is under the husband, and children are under the wife. It's a proper headship for protection. Let me say it this way. When there is proper headship And proper authority in place. Then it gives protection for those under that leadership. That headship and that authority. So it was understood. That when proper authority and headship is in place. That you better not mess with those under that authority. Or you have to contend and face the consequences of the one in authority. I'm gonna declare plainly to you. It's evident, it's happened in my lifetime. When there is no authority structure, chaos is sure to ensue. There's a very provocative and illustrative story. It's, it's, It's amazing the parallels. It's a story of, Scientists in South Africa just some years ago, hasn't been that long, they wanted to increase the population of elephants in a particular national park. So they introduced a herd of young elephants to populate that park. Not long afterwards, they began to notice an increased number of rhinos were being attacked and killed. It puzzled them. And so after making note and researching, they learned it was because of the over-aggressiveness of the young bull elephants that they had released into that park to populate. They began to realize that it was because there was no large male bull elephants to keep the younger, less mature out of must. Must was their hormones and they would rage and it was causing those young elephants to be out of control When must would hit they would attack anything and everything that came near. They destroyed trees and villages. They were just pillaging everything And since it was costly to transport the larger bulls the scientists had decided to avoid the expense however The decision was then made, regardless of cost, to introduce six large male bulls into the herd. And something amazing happened. Story goes, it's documented, you can Google it online. Within hours, not days or weeks, within hours, a calm came over the herd. Rhino deaths went back to normal numbers. They said that the large, mature bull elephants would literally put their trunks and their tusks and their front feet on the younger bulls, pressing them and holding them down until the young bulls began to behave and act properly. They'd come up aggressively in, in that untrained hormones going, but those big bulls, they would step up in authority in the animal kingdom and they would take control over that, not to dominate them, but to keep them in a place of health and strength and to keep them from doing things that would def- that would destroy the good around them. They'd hold those bulls down and say, look, son, I can just hear them now you ain't all that in a bag of chips and you better shut this down right now or I'm gonna show you who's boss around here. That's what they were saying in bull language, elephant language, flopping their ears. Think about that story. That was the animal kingdom and scientists have went on to parallel that just as I'm doing today. To realize that because of a lack of proper godly authority, chaos ensues. When there's proper headship and authority and leadership, it is accompanied by protection and peace and security and order from the chaos. And it creates spiritual boundaries and Satan has no authority. When the war horse stands up, when the godly man leads his home, I'm not saying, and will not say, and you don't need to hear or think I'm saying, that when you walk in, everybody is scared out of their mind, and you run and hide because daddy's home. That's not godly leadership. That is fear and manipulation. And it will not work. But when you walk in with authority, when you walk in the room, when a godly man leads his home and he has not perfection, but he loves and he's real and he's authentic and he admits when he makes a mistake, but he calls to order his family. Angels, I believe, Are charged to protect and accompany and assist, and that home will have peace. War horse. I'm calling you men, meek men, battle ready, authority under control, strength. I'm gonna leave you with a couple of thoughts that I see as the ministry role or the distinct role that God has designed for every man to fill and serve towards his family. Here's the first one. Every man is a priest. Now I know some of you may have a church background or a, a, a partial understanding and you say, that word is foreign to me. Let me explain it. Every man is a priest. What that means is the father represents his family to God. It was the dad who would go out to the, to the sheep herd or to the bullocks or to the dove cage and he would pick out the offering. It was the dad that selected the best offering of what they owned to bring it into the tabernacle on behalf of his family. They would come with the father and he would offer with the priest that sacrifice and the shedding of blood. Dad would be responsible to represent his family to God. The second distinct role of a dad is as prophet a prophet I'm not a prophet let me explain every man is a prophet in that he represents God to his family dad you are drawing a picture of God for your children to see every day if you are intolerant if you are belligerent if you provoke them the image of god is what they see in you but you can be strong with temperament or horse you can be you can be covered in battle gear Like, I'm here to protect and defend, but I'm not fighting you. I'm fighting those things that are trying to get you. When you represent God to your children by saying, that was wrong. We will not accept that behavior in this home. As long as I'm paying the bills, you'll have some responsibility here. This week, seven days ago, I heard a story that broke my heart, Janet and I, of a set of parents who have a nine-year-old, and they said, they live in another city, another state, but we know them. They said, we're not going to teach our daughter about God. We're not going to teach our daughter about identity. We want her to choose. We no longer say him or her. In our house, we say they, and we We call they, they. They won't even say we call her, they. We call they, they. We want her, they, to be what she needs to tell us. She need parents, you have a responsibility to parent. And no, I don't mean to be controversial or offensive, but you need to hear me. This is father of the house speaking, the war horse now, for the things coming after our kids. No nine-year-old has the cognitive ability to make those kinds of decisions. That's why you're the parent and they're the child. And we need parents who will stand up. We need the war horse to stand up and lead their family. I watched the grandfather of this child broken when he said that to me. The grandfather, he's trying to do his part, but he was broken. I left there so sad. Representing God to your family, you're the prophet of your home. You're the priest Representing your family to God. You're the prophet representing God to your family. So be the prophet You can't hand that off to somebody else. Don't you hand that off to the public school system Don't you hand that off to the neighbors down the street? Don't you hand that off to some TV show? Don't you, don't you negate your responsibility as being the prophet of your family and representing God. You need to set the tone of your house. And look, if it's been all jacked up for months or years and you come into Mars, like, here's the rolls, there's the chalk, you've you, you got, you got, you got a battle on your hands. You're going to have to get some wisdom and you're going to have to take some time. But you can turn that ship around. And, and it, listen, be the prophet. Represent God. We'll help you. And then the third role that every man is to his family is he is king. He's a king? Man, I see an old fat guy sitting there with fans going on. Eat a big old turkey leg. I'm the king. Man, hey, an order. No, no, no. It, that's the, now. See, the world mess, they change the language. They mess with you watch a TV show and it shows a dad who's slothful and disconnected and it teased me off I'm like why don't you show a dad who loves his family who has order in the home says hey, hey no we ain't doing that you be home at 12 matter of fact you be home at 11:55. and if you're home at 12 you're grounded well I'm 16 nobody else is. well then go live with them if you don't like the rules here go go live with them You say, that's crazy. We practice that in our house. Just ask either one of our sons. Jared Green, he's right there. I remember one time he he said, hey, nobody else has to do that. All my friends and all that blah, blah, blah. Can I say BS, 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 all that blah, Like, And you know what his mama did? She went and got a little bitty suitcase, put a, a pair of underwear, a pair of socks, and a couple, they set it on the front porch and said, Then go live with them. And he's looking at her, he's looking at, and then he saw that little suitcase. He said, Well, what about the rest of my things? She said, They're not your things. I paid for every bit of it. You ought to be thankful I put that on the front porch. That ain't no lie. And then he's like, and she pushed him out the front door and shut the door. <laughs> we, we got two war horses in our house. <laughs> but that's mama's job as well. She's the nurturer, you're the protector. <laughs> Man, my mind's running 100 miles an hour because as a father, my heart is broken and my heart is heavy. And there's a raging war inside of me and you're seeing strength under Order right now because I'm here to tell you there is a spirit coming after our families and this next generation. And we need some dads, we need some roar horses, we need some men to rise up and in love but in strength. Say that is not gonna happen around here. That's not that don't we don't behave like that in this house. No, no, no. That here, here's what Dr. Dobson stuck in my mind. Dr. James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, years ago. He made a statement, I never forgot it. He said, You better break the will. You have a responsibility to break. The the will of that child but not break the spirit and some of us are so afraid of breaking the spirit that we that we that we get timid no no you need, you need some bull elephants to push down those tusks poking him in the back of the neck though that you're had an elephant stand on top of you a, a daddy a big push down and just say boy whispering in his ear do that again Am I talking to any war horses in the room today? <laughs> now, man, so, so, so what does a king mean? Okay, let me explain it. The king mean that, means that God's given the war horse responsibility to govern your family on behalf of God. Your family's not yours, God gave them to you to steward and it's your responsibility to steward them biblically until they are released into adulthood and then you still father them their whole life. Dad represents headship and authority, but it also represents responsibility to his subjects or his family. You can't just sire a bunch of kids and then run off. you got to be responsible for them. you got to take care of them. Every one of us have a responsibility. You can't negate that to the babysitter or to the TV or to the son. you got to, it takes a family. I, I believe that. We all are a, a family of choice and we're in this together. And you need to make sure the friends that you're associating with have the same or similar values values to what you have every household is not exactly the same but the undertone and the values need to be the same so that when they're at your house or my house or their house they're hearing the same thing and if they come home and ask you a question dad you don't need to excuse it you need to set the order well this is how it is in our house this is what we believe this is what god has said and this is the way we're going to live and we're this way until you grow up and go and choose your own one other story Pastor Nate was a sophomore in college. He said, I think I want to move out. I'm like, I understand. 20 years old in college. I get it. Now you have to know, Pastor Nate. He is, he's ultra conservative, and he's—that's a compliment. He's—he's he's very particular, and he—he he saves his money, and 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 he got to doing the math. I said, write down everything it's going to take. You know, get it. In your, you got to figure out what you're, it's going to take you to cost. Remember that stuff that we—that you just open the cabinet and it's there. It won't be there. <laughs> and the house we lived in, I, we had a a regular. Two car garages, and then I had a little shop. And so he had a garage; he could park his truck. I had an extra washer and dryer that was over by. Him. He he had a setup driving in and out on his side of the house. Had his own space. Had a washer dryer. I said, "All I ask. You, you're 20 years old. You're a grown man. But but we live in this house, and it's my house. Your mom and I live here. And every time you open the door, I hear that didi didi didi. Every time you close the door, didi didi didi. What? The alarm. It goes off. The alarm's beeping. I'm on like, who's coming? Seriously, don't mess with me. I have authority in my home and I also have the judge. And if you know what the judge is, you don't want to meet him because that'll be the last thing you ever heard or saw if you met him. That's all I got to say about that. And it's laying right by my bed every night. The judge. Look it up. Anyway, <laughs> here's a hint. You don't even have to cock it you just pull the trigger. Now, I ain't planning on doing that, but he's coming home. I'm like, if you're gonna be out and you're gonna be doing stuff, you owe us the courtesy to let us know. You live on your own place, go live. Say, he's a grown man, he ought to do what he wants to do. Not in my house. I want you to keep your room clean. You can park in the garage, but don't put your junk everywhere. If you use the washer and dryer, take care of it. Take the, the lint out of the thing in the dryer. You're not trying to build a quilt. Are y'all with me, everybody? The, but we said some, he's a grown man, but the, hey, we need some war horses, everybody, who will govern on behalf of God in fairness, in love, in grace, and in restoration. And I'm done, God's calling some men to be a war horse. Now here's what I wanna do, I wanna end with an amazing verse, scroll up if you would, there's an amazing verse in Malachi that says, I will send you the prophet And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Sorry, mom. I know in every TV show and everything that says, hi, mom. They always say that, you know, hi, mom. But this verse says, hey, dad. Hey, dad. God's turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. I hugged my dad, I knelt down beside him. He's in a wheelchair half the time because he just doesn't have the strength to get around. And I sat beside him and I knelt beside him yesterday. I put my arm around and kissed him on the cheek. He's not physically, he's not the man that he was even five years ago, because I've watched his health decline. And it's, it's heartbreaking, right? But I know the man that's in there, the war horse that has stood on behalf of my family. And I honored that, and I loved on him. And here's what I'd like to do, again, as Pastor Jared did while ago, I want to invite all the dads to stand. Would you please, dad, just stand. If you're a guest, please stand with us. We love everybody. We're inviting you. We include everybody. So I want you to just take a look, just for a moment. And dads, I know some of you don't like to be you know, I don't. I don't I want to be in the background, but let us take a moment, please, to look at you. Our culture can be tough on dads. And if you're a father, you might be fighting a lot of battles for your marriage, for your family. Some of you, as I have, have even fought battles in your own heart this year. Maybe right now. There's some things I can't protect my family from. I can't stop cancer. I can't stop when my kids make choices that I don't approve of. They make them and I can't stop that. So it's tough and finding the courage to keep fighting every day is not easy. That's why I want all of you to know, every one of you dads, that you are appreciated and you are loved and you are honored in this house and we celebrate you today. And I wanna tell you also that God sees the hard work you put in and the sacrifices you've made and the obstacles you've overcome to protect the ones that you love. So I wanna speak this prayer of blessing over you to remind you how incredibly valuable you are and the battles that you fight matter so i'd like for every man just to bow his head and if you're a family member wife son daughter near that father would you put your hand on their shoulder you can stand if you want to if it's more comfortable would you put your hand on that man's hip or that man's shoulder you're a family, would you do that right now? And if you're by a man who may be alone and his family's not here, would you just be the family to him right now? Would you just lay your hand on his shoulder and touch them? Let's do that, let's look around. If you see a man that maybe there's no family near them, just make sure of that. Just put your hand on their shoulder right now. Put your hand on their shoulder. I'm gonna pray this prayer of blessing. Heavenly Father, you said reverence for you gives a man deep strength and we need men with deep strength help us to build our firm foundation on a relationship with Jesus when everybody else is running the race for achievements and accomplishments and appearance help us to remember that what matters most is love to love you to love our wife to love our kids our families our friends even to love our enemies help us to remember Jesus that you said our care for others is the measure of our greatness our care for others is the measure of our greatness so help us to give our lives away and learn what it means to really live we realize that everything else is going to pass away but the man who does the will of God will live forever and most importantly We pray today that you give these men a new sense of courage, the courage to stand alone, to be a man of honor, to be strong, to be a war horse, and do everything in and through love. I declare and pray this blessing of health and wholeness on each of these men right here, right now. In Jesus' name amen and amen can we give our fathers a resounding come on a resounding ovation of gratitude right now you may be seated there's something we always do at the end of every service and i'd like to take just a moment if you'll be quiet just for a moment and no moving around, and that is, if you don't know Jesus, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Everything we do, whether it's Father's Day or any other day, everything we do, all is wrapped up in introducing people to Jesus. I met Jesus when I was nine years old. He changed my life. <laughs> changed my life. Now, at nine years old, I, didn't, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't been drunk or... Run around with women or? You say, what's a nine-year-old? How did he change your life? Jesus did something in my life that stuck. And then at age 15, I remember an encounter with God. And I said, yes, I understood more. That was my beginning. What's your beginning? Could it be today, right now? To say, I'm gonna start a life with Jesus. And I want his principles and his training and his word and I want his promises in my life. And he's promised you eternal life above all. That's why I loved you enough to come die for you. That's not just a story, it really happened. Jesus loved you enough because we were in sin and we can't save ourselves, we needed a savior. Aren't you glad for the savior, Jesus? Those of you who know Jesus, I mean, he took our place on a cross, right? He he died for us. So I'd like to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth, if you'll say this prayer, and that prayer is, I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna pray ahead before I invite you to join me so there's no unanswered questions. He said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins on your behalf and you believe he rose from the grave, that God resurrected Jesus, that's the power of the life and the blood of Jesus. If you believe that, and invite him to be your savior, you can have eternal life. That's what we're gonna pray. So every head bow just for a moment. If that's you and you've never prayed that, or you need to pray it again to rededicate your life, would you just raise your hand? That'll let me know who I'm praying with today. Pastor, I just thank you for this opportunity. I wanna be saved. Thank you for those hands, thank you. Just raise your hand, just a simple obedience act. Just yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Just raise your hand. I wanna make sure I'm ready to go to heaven. I wanna pray that prayer. We're all gonna pray it together. I'm not gonna have you singled out. Anybody else? Just a moment more. So I wanna make sure I'm ready to go to heaven. Anybody? I wanna give my heart to Jesus. Online right there where you are, we're talking to you, and you could click and somebody will pray with you right there. We're so glad to have you tuned in this morning. Every hand down, you could put those hands back down. Thank you for that. Now let's all pray together. Say it like you mean it. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Take away my sin. I accept your promise of eternal life. I believe you died for me and you rose again. Now I can have eternal life with you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And I'll do my best to follow you the rest of my life amen. Can we give everybody an applause? Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. Come on, everybody. If you prayed that prayer, we welcome you here this morning.